Welcome, everyone. This is TGN, and we are going to be doing our Great Game Hunters broadcast today. Uh, so for those of you unfamiliar, Great Game Hunters is our Kingdom Death podcast, where we like to break down all of the different monsters in the game and all the stuff that you can do with them. And this evening, we will be focusing on The Butcher. But first things first, uh, introductions. I'm Matt, and I am joined by... Josh and Fen somewhere. Oh, sorry, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm Fen. Okay, so what are we going to be starting off with first today, guys? So let's talk about our personal experience with the Butcher and, and how we feel about him. This is the first nemesis we fight in Kingdom Death, and he's uh, always a good, interesting fight, especially when you're a very brand new player. So, uh, Fen, you want to tell us a little bit about your personal feelings about the Butcher? Well, um, in this these days, I'm I'm kind of okay with the Butcher, but I still... I often read more experienced players talking on uh, Board Game Geek and on Reddit about, don't worry about the butcher, it's not as bad as it seems. He's, you know, he's very handleable. And I think they kind of maybe forget that first experience. Because when the butcher first turns up, and it generally, for most people, the butcher's going to be the first nemesis you ever face. You're, you're kind of plodding along, you've beaten the prologue lion, you've fought a white lion or two, maybe you've fought an antelope, and you're feeling kind of confident, and then this thing turns up, and all of a sudden, you're like, what, he's drawing two AI cards a turn? And it also, the Butcher kind of introduces this, these two new things, which is bleeding in a serious way, because I think previously only the lion bleeds you a little bit, the antelope might bleed you a little, but it's never a serious threat. If you're going to die from bleed, it's probably going to be via critical hits. But the butcher suddenly, I will kill you through just bleed tokens. And the other thing is this, um, the uh, infectious lunacy, where all of a sudden it's like, well, gaining, suffering brain damage, and you get saddled with frenzy and you start to experience how painful it can be to have a lot of speed so i think the butcher's kind of this first sort of hello this is kingdom death this is what it can be like and it's a bit of a it's quite an impression it'll leave on a starting player i know i have read in recent times there's been a fair few people going i hate nemesis fights they're too much they're they're really painful and um i i understand why you know it's uh I've never forgotten my first butcher fight. Which is actually funny because um, I was thinking about this uh, earlier today and I was reviewing some of the things people have said online and they were really complaining about the butcher and how he seems unbeatable in their first one, two, even three playthroughs. And uh, I kept, I couldn't help but think that he didn't seem that bad when we fought him. But I think that it's because we played a good amount since and I don't recall our first encounter all that much except for the fact that more than likely we didn't take bandages into account and it screwed us over uh josh do you remember more about our first encounter with the butcher yeah our first encounter with the butcher was it was yeah you didn't bring bandages you you, you go into the fight thinking hey how bad is this be i beat up a bunch of white lions and then it's just completely different tactics he has no critical locations he has no so everything that you were doing before doesn't work with the butcher so it basically turns the game around and says no Everything that you've learned so far doesn't work here. This is a totally different fight. You need to learn how to adapt to this and, and work with it. And, and that's why I love the Butcher is because he's... And that's why I like the Nemesis because uh, they're all stop gates for increasing your power in the game. Is Yeah, this this works against monsters, but this isn't going to work against a Nemesis. Fight. That's very true. The, the Butcher does keep you on your toes in that it is very different play-wise than all of the monsters you've faced thus far. And that is what the Nemesis do is... 
act as a, a way to prevent you from grinding too much in the game and uh, throw a real curveball at you. And that's what I think the Butcher accomplishes nicely is that he's so different than what you've experienced uh, up to that point so far. Yes, yeah, I do agree. All right. Uh, so go ahead, Josh. All right, so let's let's go into who and what the Butcher is a little bit. So let's start off with... Uh... We're going to start out at level one, but let's go over like his basic traits of what he has. Actually, Josh, before we can do that, can we talk a little bit about the actual lore of the Butcher? Because I know some people have sort of spoken about this and said it, he kind of blindsides you out of nowhere. I don't really understand what this is like. So it'd be nice to talk a little bit about the lore behind the Butcher as much as we can gather. If that's yeah, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Go with the lore because I, okay. I don't know too much about him. All right, so um, first of all, you need to know about Forsakers. And um, Forsakers are a, a group of people who, uh, I'll read directly from the description here, they lose or give up on their grasp of, on sanity in trade for unbridled power and stamina. They see nothing but suffering, a pitiful struggle around them. They're incapable of compassion, and they channel their despair into unchecked, furious, berserk state that makes the Forsaker dangerous to friend or foe alike. Um, the second one from the Limited describes... Um, uh, the Forsaker has lost so much that his perspective has been skewed beyond repair. They see nothing but darkness and suffering, and accordingly they have abandoned their own humanity to better su suit the struggle they see around them. Ruthless and fueled by despair, the berserk state of the Forsaker is dangerous to friend or foe alike. So Forsakers themselves, they're already kind of, they stepped off down the pathway of accept darkness, and they kind of represent this um, philosophy within the world of Kingdom Death of embracing rage instead of despair and striking out and destroying. Um, but then you get to the Butcher, and there's a little bit of debate whether there's more than one Butcher or not, wh uh, whether the Butcher is a natural progression where you end up as a Forsaker, or if there's just one Butcher. I'm kind of the opinion that there's one Butcher, and he's sort of, he's kind of like a Jason, um, Michael Myers, uh, Freddy Krueger type character, where he keeps coming back from the dead. Um, but the description given is, the Butcher is the remains of a Forsaker, swallowed by long years of wrestling with the primal rage that gave him power. Nothing remains of the man, just a mess of flesh clinging to the insides of the Forsaker's armor, animated by a nihilistic fury to destroy those on the road through oblivion. The Butcher collects the lanterns and skinned faces of his victims, a perversion of humanity that echoes inside its near-hollow armor. And I think that kind of, it gives you this serial killer vibe, which is, I think, very much an aesthetic of the Butcher. You know, it includes the name, the whole thing. It's kind of, he is a real vicious monster out to kill and slay. And the whole AI deck, the whole encounter seems to be based around that. Absolutely. He definitely gives the uh, serial killer, as you said, the Jason vibe to it. You know, the uh, the big oversized knives that he's using to try and kill you, the bleeds that he's inflicting, all of that stuff. Uh, it, it really goes with the silent antagonist that just beats the ever-loving crap out of you. Yeah, except uh, there is a word for big oversized knives like these, you know. Matt, do you want to take a stab at it? Well, yeah, I'll take a stab. I like that. The cleavers. I mean, I just didn't want to cross because Jason uses knives versus cleavers. But I'm just trying to, you know, point the link out there. The butcher's cleavers. Yeah, yeah, I understand. But not just to be another pen, uh, Jason uses a machete. Okay, okay. It's still a big knife. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm just messing with you. But anyway, that is the sort of law behind the, the butcher and... I, I can see there are some complaints from some people who say he kind of comes out of nowhere and there's no real build up. And um, some of the like with the armored strangers that builds up the Kingsman arriving, the hand kind of puts um, he has the royal. Is it royal visit? Yeah, I believe so. 
yeah, so they both sort of get announced, but the Butcher kind of appears out of nowhere. And I think this is one area I could see being improved in 1.5. I don't think we need an event many years in advance, but it would be nice if in a similar way to the way the Manhunter works, that we had a bit like a, a, a settlement event that heralded the arrival of the Butcher to sort of give people a bit more of a feel of, of, of it coming and its impending menace and how scary and dangerous this is. So it, it, it hopefully, I don't know if we will see it in 1.5, but I'd be very happy to see a story event that runs up to the Butcher, not just the little blurb that you read at the beginning of the showdown. That's a very interesting point there. I think it would suit very nicely to even have like an event where uh, you have all of a sudden your survivors find body parts and, you know, Possibly it could be a, a minus one population from yourself or something like that to, like you said, herald the uh, entrance of the butcher in. Because, yeah, you're right. He does kind of just come out of nowhere and beat the crap out of you. Uh, but I'm wondering if maybe that kind of adds to it a little bit, that it just seems so unreasonable that he's doing it, that that kind of adds to it. Yeah, that's certainly uh, one of two ways to, to kind of look at it. Um, how do you feel, Josh? Oh, sorry, I skipped over. I was reading some cards. <laughs> How do you feel about the way the butcher is introduced? Do you th- I, I was suggesting maybe an event, but to build up, or are you happy with the way he kind of comes out and know with the showdown? I, I, if there was an event, I would feel like a little bit of a intro, just be like he just comes in and wreaks havoc. It, it doesn't need to be much, but just that this mysterious figure came and started attacking everything, um, and still leave it mysterious and, and not really know what's happening. Yeah, I think the mystery plays a big part into that and in linking up with the serial killer vibe, as you were saying, uh, Fen. Yeah, yeah, it's it's perfectly reasonable. It's just sort of entertaining whether there's an alternative way to satisfy those people who feel a bit sort of shortchanged by the way it appears. You know I what, get... they can always come online and speak to the uh, the people on the forums and, and we can say, no, he comes out of nowhere, he's a serial killer, run for your life. That is uh, certainly an option there. Uh, is there anything else with the lore that you wanted to touch on there? I think I've pretty much covered uh, what I like, the the theme of him, the, the design, the way that he's like a natural progression of this whole cast of, I guess they're survivors forsakers. We don't know too much more about them really beyond the little bits that we've had with certain models. I guess it's worth mentioning that a uh, forsaker was the first model, um, I believe, that kickstarted by Poots. It was a standalone for making a forsaker he tried originally. Yeah, that was his first Kickstarter that did succeed. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they've been around a long time. And having said that, shall we move on to the AI, a, a, the AI deck? Yeah, let's go to the AI deck. The AI, AI captain. AI deck. Okay, so what did you want to touch on first? How about uh, what's the well? How many AI cards are we starting out with? With let's say a level one butcher. A level one has a uh, thirteen cards, seven basics, five advance. Uh, I want to go into the traits first just to get an understanding of the generic feeling of the Butcher, and then we'll talk later how he kind of levels up. So the one of the first cards he has in play is uh, Berserker, and that's uh, he draws an extra AI card a turn. So he now has two attacks a turn, basically. Right, and it's not just uh, two attacks as in draw an AI card and then perform a basic action. He's cycling through that AI deck pretty rapidly, so it gives you less of a chance to uh, play control on the deck. For example, the um headband doesn't really help you out much when he's going to be drawing both of the cards you're going to be looking at unless you're looking at which one you want to try to get rid of first yeah and that's a very important strategy like typically you're like okay let me check the AI cards to see what he's going to attack with next and manage that and it's just like nope you're going to attack with both cards you can't do anything you can change the order of them that's about it yeah it's um 
it's quite a bit of a shock to experience suddenly a monster going twice with uh, two AI. I know a lot of the nemesis tend to have um, something that they may trigger at the beginning of the turn. I know the Manhunter tombstones first. Um, and I think the Kingsman, doesn't the Kingsman do something if you're in the blind spot? Yeah, he attacks. I think he attacks whoever's in the blind spot. Yeah, yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk about the Kingsman more next time. But yeah, it sort of sets the theme of these nemesis monsters. First of all, they've come to find you. Secondly, they are more dangerous than your average monster. So the next trade card in play is a fast target, which reshuffles the hit location deck at the beginning of every turn, which is actually a good thing for the Butcher since his hit location deck isn't very large and you want to kind of not hit the trap guard so much. And you're going to be doing a lot of speed in the attack, so... I actually think this is actually a helpful trait. It is, but uh, it also makes it quite hard to deal with his two impervious locations as well as the, the trap. And he does have a super dense location also. That's so right. those those are in play a lot more than normal. Yeah, and then we have the uh, Dreaded Trophies. And Dreaded Trophies is a really interesting one because that's his uh, buffing mechanic. So whenever he kills one of these survivors on the showdown, he's going to be essentially getting stronger, which, yay. Yeah, it creates kind of a snowballing effect where if one person dies, um, actually, actually, if one person dies, this is worth noting. Um, with certain butchers, the fact that he gets um bleed on the first one doesn't do anything because obviously bleed doesn't stack if you bleed one doesn't stack on top of bleed one. So that's the least scary of the three. But then on when the second one dies, he hits plus one movement and plus one speed, and the you know two remaining people are pretty much in a lot of trouble. And then at three dead, he gets plus two damage tokens, which is, you know, just generally lights out unless he's nearly down at that point. Right, but then you're basically guaranteeing the bleed two on everything, which that, it could really be a pain because you're uh, you're basically saying that unless you happen to completely dodge an attack or block an attack, that you're going to be getting two bleed tokens distributed uh, per round. Uh, so that's what your full bandage use. Yes, yeah. All right, then we'll go into the uh, status card uh, card everyone has, which is the uh, infectious, infectious Lunacy. And this is when you suffer the brain trauma, you gain tokens for how much brain trauma, and then once you have three plus tokens, you perform Frenzy. So, Fen, you want to tell us a little bit what Frenzy is? Oh, put me on the spot, eh? <laughs> okay, so Frenzy is a brain trauma condition that um, if it does hit, it's normally a 10, if I remember correctly, on the chart. I don't actually have yeah, it open. Yeah, it's a 10 here, on the frankly. chart. Yeah. Um, and and let me get it open here a sec. I know it gives you 1d5 insanity, um, and it gives you plus 1 speed and plus 1 damage, and you cannot spend survival. Which I all use weapon masteries or fighting arts. So it's quite a, a, quite a disablement, especially early on where you kind of got used to relying on... Um, dodge and all of a sudden nope you, you're not allowed to dodge anymore but as a bonus you get to ignore slow on melee weapons thing is usually at this point in the game you don't have a slow weapon unless you happen to have the zambato already uh but that is something that's interesting about this because a lot of people see this card and they're gonna think right off the bat oh i get plus one speed plus one strength i'm just gonna be awesome i'm gonna be getting buffed up when the butcher deals brain damage to me uh, but the fact that you fighting arts at this point really aren't going to matter too much, especially level one butcher. Uh, but the fact that you can't spend survival anymore is a major handicap that I think just kind of glosses over a lot of people the first time it happens. 
And once you're not able to do it, it especially in a fight where he's drawing two AI cards every round, not being able to dash or dodge is a real hindrance. Absolutely, yeah. It can often be the um, the death of someone if they're not in a good position. But once you get be used to it, you realize, I need to be spending my survival early while I still can. Make use of it. Absolutely. That's the way we play the Butcher is basically might as well spend it now because I'm not going to be able to spend it later. So you kind of go balls to the wall and you're dodging and dashing and uh, surging every round. A bit like the desperate fight at the end of a movie against a serial killer. Very true. So yeah, this is one of the first big things that kind of goes, hey, we can mess with the rules. We can mess with how you were playing before. Uh, Enjoy that and good luck figuring out how to deal with it. How about you, Josh? How do you feel about this? Yeah, it it just it makes it a totally different fight than every the screaming antelope or the white line. It's not something you're prepared for and that you know how to deal with in the first playthrough. And uh it always makes it really interesting doing that kind of kind of jump into something completely new and just be like, "Oh, oh, I wasn't expecting this." And then you do have that TPK or or you just barely make it and it makes for a very interesting fight. All right, so you want to start getting into some of his mood cards. Well, let's go into his basic cards. Um, he's got 11 unique cards, or 11 basic cards, but there's only 7 unique. There's a lot of doubles in here, so I'm just going to kind of go down the line on these. All right, go for it. So when we first look at him, um, the Butcher does a lot of hacking and slashing. So the first card we got is Hack, which is uh, closest threat, closest facing, uh, closest threat facing, closest threat, and then uh, no target heat menace, which we can talk about in a little bit. But it's a 2 speed, 4 plus accuracy, 1 damage, but it causes bleed. So we're going to see a lot of uh, bleed from the Butcher here. Very appropriate that the first uh, a, a card you're picking up does a bleed. Yeah, uh, this is kind of what I was talking about with the fact that when he um, the first kill thing results in the after damage bleed one. As you'll see quite a few cards he has that have bleed one. This hack also gives an indicator of the first one of the Butcher's weaknesses when you look at the accuracy of this card. Because compared to the White Line, compared to the Antelope, this is quite low. Yeah, so after that, we're going to go into Hue, which is similar to Hack. It's just a speed of 1, though. Accuracy is a 3-plus now, but it goes up to a damage of 3. And the after damage is a bleed and a bash. So, as we saw before, lots of bleed. And again, 1 speed is not too bad. You could use your dodge on that one. But if you're frenzied, this could be a real problem for you, especially early game. You can't dodge the attack, and it's going to be doing three damage to you. You're probably not prepared for this this early on if it's a level one. Yeah, absolutely. If it's got a, a couple of these in the deck, it's quite scary. Um, although, you know, there there's it's kind of a bit strange to say this is one of the less scary things that the Butcher can do, um, considering it deals three damage. It does seem like a lot. Yeah, so next card, so these all have a very similar theme to them. Next we're going to go to Wild Carve, which is, just like everything else, it's a 2 speed, 4 plus accuracy, 1 damage. After damage, you get a bleed token. Um, but he does add does something additional at the end where all adjacent survivors suffer 1 damage to a random hit location and gain 1 bleed token. So this actually gives out 2 bleed tokens uh, to everyone, well, to 1 survivor, and then everyone gets 1 bleed token that's adjacent to it. Yeah, so this um, builds into the second thing that the Butcher teaches you, which is you kind of want to spread out a bit. You don't want to be all sat together. And as we look at other cards, you'll see the Butcher's quite dangerous to people who are all grouped up next to him. Yeah, you want to give yourself some either range or reach or really plan out your attack so you're not ending too close to each other or adjacent, all adjacent to the Butcher, definitely. Absolutely, and as you can see again, 
four plus. This attack's quite inaccurate, sort of representing the butcher's rage and lack of care as he swings about trying to just hack and slash and kill whatever he can. But uh, I guess we're getting on to the the famous card next, are we, Josh? Yeah, we're going to go with the kick, everyone's favorite card. So kick is a two speed, four plus accuracy, like everything, one damage. Um, No bleed on this one. It's knockback five and you get the priority token and then he draws another AI card. So yeah, the fun thing here is the infinite kick loop, where if kick is your last card, you kind of get screwed because he's just going to keep drawing kicks until you're all dead. It has to be two kick cards, I believe, was um, clarified in the Faku. Yeah, it's two ah, kick okay. cards. Um, but yeah, it, he just keeps going until everyone's knocked down, at least. Not necessarily and dead, then, but knocked down. Well, then he infinitely menaces everyone until they die from insanity. That is true. Yeah, basically, this is this is the other thing you have to learn against the Butcher, is you've got to control his AI deck with Rawhide, and make sure you eliminate at least one of these two kicks so this doesn't happen. Um, you read, I read about quite a few people who this has happened to, and they've gone, is this right? You know, is it, did we do it correctly? And the answer is, yes, you did. And just like the white line, understanding abuse is a thing, this is a thing. This is just a trait of how AI decks work in the game. So watch out for it. And, you know, um, it's a nice little teaching tool. Rawhide is how you stop this. Right. It basically lets you know that uh, it's one hand of every action. There's an equal and opposite reaction. If you can try to break the game, the game can try to break you there. If you're going to mess around with the AI deck of the lion, this could mess with you in the complete opposite direction. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to go into the last pretty much attack card on uh, his basics. And then we have uh, intimidate and a mood. So next is backhand. So this is uh, he's going to attack everything besides his blind spot that's around him. It's a one speed, four plus accuracy, two damage, and uh, everyone suffers knockback five and bash. Yeah, which are both traits that, um, uh, not traits, uh, afflictions that you can see that uh, the butcher is quite often causing. We've seen kick uh, knockback on the kick. We've seen bash as well occurring earlier. So again, the, the butcher deals out a lot of different kinds of status effects. Um, I mean, this is the other one of the ones I was referring to as saying you don't want to be grouped up too much because, I mean, look at that. That is a hell of a wide arc he's attacking. Right, and it's uh, another way that it's showing that it's not just a straight-up damage battle. The Butcher's going to be trying to mess up with your, mess up your strategy so that you can't be playing exactly how you want to with these cards that are, are going to affect your positioning and stand-up status on the board. Yeah, and you can notice as well, if you're down to just two people or some people have hidden behind terrain or the like the butcher will menace and um so if you're in a blind spot the butcher's going to turn around and face you that means if this is the first ai card drawn you might be like oh brilliant the butcher's not going to target me but he's like oh no he turns around he deals brain damage to you which gives you you know tokens towards infectious lunacy and then he'll go to town with you onto go to town on you with his second card it's um I haven't, don't see this one too often because obviously it's a single one in the basic, but it certainly leaves an impression when it happens, especially the first time you get hit by it and you're not aware it's coming. All right, so let's go into his uh, one basic intimidate, which is uh, the Butcher's Roar. And uh, all targets roll a d10 on a 4+. plus. They suffer one brain damage per monster level and is knocked down. Yeah, this one's uh, it's pretty much a standard kind of intimidate. Uh, I'd say... Apart from the interactions with Infectious Lunacy, this is one of his lightest uh, attacks. Um, 
along with the one speed ones that you get hit by while you still have the ability to suspend survival. This is one of the cards I wouldn't prune out of the deck early on, I don't think. How about you guys? Yeah, it seems pretty basic. Um, knockdown sucks, but it's manageable, especially if it's near the beginning of the encounter. So this isn't wouldn't be one of the priority cards I'd want to get out of the deck. The only thing is this will start stacking frenzies later on if it's one of the last cards in the in the deck. It's the one thing to note. Very true. And then we're going to go into his basic mood card, Screaming. Uh, when this comes to play, everyone suffers one brain damage per monster level. And then at the start of every monster's turn, all non-death survivors suffer one brain damage per monster level. Uh, and this move gets discarded when a survivor dies. So this is the stacking of the... Uh, oh, goodness, I just lost the word. The stacking of the Frenzies. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I find it interesting that this one has... Um, you know, it, it's it's such a, a, a an absolute beating. And um, I was going to say, this is one of those reasons why I advocate the Whisker Harp from the White Line. Is, yeah, you're only going to remove this on a 7+. plus. But that is better than having something like this sitting around and getting just masses of frenzy dumped on you and ending up unable to defend yourself. Um, so I I firmly think that you should always have a whisker heart built to take into most of the nemesis fights. And this is the kind of thing I hope that teaches people early on that the whisker harp is quite useful. It's funny because we've never actually played with the whisker harp, but I can definitely see the... Uh... The benefits of it if especially in this circumstance if that mood comes into play early in the game early in the showdown and you have no way of dealing with it and you all of a sudden lose your ability to spend any survival early it could be a real mess yeah uh, can you imagine what it's going to be like um if it hits play earlier with the level two or the level three butcher infectious lunacy immediately essentially pretty much all right so we're ready to go into the advanced cards yep and i think the advanced section i, I it is interesting, the Butcher doesn't have any legendary attacks at all, but some of these advanced ones feel like legendary attacks for sure. So yes. uh, I'm looking forward to this, let's go. Yeah, some of these cards can be a little nasty. We're going to start with the only one that we have a double of, which is Bite. Oh, you and I know Bite very well, Josh. Yes, we do. So it's a 2-speed, 4-plus accuracy. Um, it does no damage, but the target suffers one severe head injury, which is horrible. Way worse than uh, than, than damage. Yeah, so going back to a little anecdote here, in one of our Twitch Plays Kingdom Death streams, uh, we had an armless survivor that first round went up and tried to bite the butcher, and I think may have done a damage or so, but then immediately the next turn after, bite came up, butcher bit her back, and her head exploded. Uh, so it was, it really was just a shot to the gut when that happened, because that was the first round. And that was what everyone's was favorite survivor. Yes, that would be Hope, and uh, in Memorial, we made the St. Hope Cemetery for our next settlement uh, with Graves Principal. But as yes, uh, you could say, Hope was lost that day. Uh, yes, you could, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is quite a, an interesting card as well, I think, because, again, it's kind of blindsides players because they're very comfortable and they're like, well, you know, I'm, I, I understand this, I've got two armor, I'm fine, and then suddenly this goes, actually... Your armor, sometimes, it doesn't mean anything whatsoever. In fact, your injury levels, they mean nothing whatsoever. So, you know, watch out for it. This card, I will always want to prune this card out of the deck as fast as possible because once you are at the point that your infectious lunacy is taken over, forget about, you know, you don't want to be dealing with these bites. And the fact that there's two of them in the deck, it's quite interesting. Although, I don't know how the butcher manages to bite. I mean, maybe it's because it, it, he's got a face mask on. Maybe his helmet, you know, the jaws on that bite or something. Who knows? 
don't question the butcher. He's he's got his plans. <laughs> Perhaps his face mask opens up and uh, the, the the looming darkness inside lunges at you. Who knows? There you go. Thematically, that works nicely. All right. So next up, we have a double hack, which is a four speed now, four plus accuracy, one damage, and it has a bleed two on it. So we're gonna even more bleed, more speed, more damage. Yeah, the bleed two is where this really becomes a problem because you know five and you're dead. So this is almost fifty percent of your allowable bleeding tokens, and I'm sure you're gonna be getting more because he's gonna be attacking twice. Yeah, yeah. So this is why people often say if you're gonna face the butcher, bring bandages. Absolutely. Um, it it also it's a lot of dice, but again, as you can see, it's quite inaccurate, and uh, that's the other part of early advice against the butcher is stack those evasion items. Get yourself a tank with at least rawhide and monster grease, and try and get monster grease on everyone because it's quite a big jump. I mean, it's only it feels like it's only one dice roll, but getting hit sixty percent of the time versus fifty percent of the time. Oh, sorry, 70, isn't it? 4 plus is 70. 70 down to 60 is pretty big and can make the difference between life and death. And with the new survival of the fittest, it makes it a little bit easier with that plus one evasion when you start. So makes this fight that much easier. Yeah, I am not convinced that new survival of the fittest is going to survive the testing. It's so good. But we can hope. We can always hope. All right, so let's go to the next card. We're going to go to the uh, Devour Lantern. Um, and this is where the target's doomed. And everything has the same targeting. Closest threat facing, closest threat. Uh, he attacks whatever's right in his face. Uh, but it's a two speed, four plus accuracy, one damage. But after damage, the target loses their lantern and they gain minus three accuracy token and lose all survival. And if it's the last survivor on the board, they die. Yeah, minus three accuracy tokens is nasty. I mean, I feel like one would have been pretty good to put in that place, but three is just it really wants to punish you for getting hit by this card. Yeah, it's interesting. It kind of the um uh, the way that this triggers I find unusual because it's kind of a disembowel effect in that if you're the last remain survivor you die. But it seems to me that this is only during this attack if you're the last remaining survivor that you die. So I guess there's I guess the survivor pulls out another lantern maybe if you're gonna sort of think of thematically how this works. I mean is that does that make sense? I guess maybe they pick up pick up their broken lantern after it got hit on the floor so it doesn't it's not quite as bright. I don't think there's any lantern left, is there? <laughs> well, who knows? It's um, it's it's hard to tell. But again, you know, you see, we're seeing the same themes here. It's like not super super high speed. It is, as you said, very easy to tell who the butcher's coming for. Closest threat facing, uh, or then closest threat. Um, and it's wildly inaccurate. Uh, but very punishing if it does hit. Um, block's pretty useful though, isn't it? If I remember correctly. Yeah, block would be helpful here. Not that you'll have it if you're just playing the core game. Not yeah. at this stage. Yeah, core game, it's a little hard to get blocked by now. Alright, I know I just said that uh, he always targets the uh, survivor right in front of him, but I'm going to go to Lantern Hunger next. Um, I'm gonna yeah, read... yeah, there's always got to be an exception. There's always got to be an exception. Um, and I'm going to read the text here. The Butcher disappears in a flash of light, reforming from the glow of a survivor's lantern. Target the furthest survivor, target is doomed, and then you place the Butcher next to them. And this is a 4 speed, 4 plus accuracy, 1 damage, and the after damage effect is they get the priority token. Yeah, yeah. So this, uh, there's a few things you can do with this. Um, is First of all, if you know it's coming up, if you can manage to block the spaces up sufficiently that the Butcher can't appear next to it, it just gets discarded. Which is difficult to achieve, but it is possible. Um, again, it's quite inaccurate. Um, 
this is one of the cards, though, along with um, Kick, uh, one of the reasons I highly rate Fecal Cells, because if the wrong person gets hit by a priority target token, it's it's really painful for them, and just having the ability to remove those is great. But uh, I don't believe you guys are on the Fecal Train yet, are you? No, no, we haven't got that Fecal Train yet. That's one way of putting it. Uh, No, we're not on the, the Poop Wagon. The Poop Wagon, I like that. All right, let's go into his last attack card, straight-up attack card, uh, and everything else is moves and intimidates. Hack City. This is always the fun one. So this is uh, a 4-speed, 4-plus oh, yeah. accuracy, 1 damage, but the after damage is for each hit, make an additional attack roll. Continue to roll until all attacks miss. And if the target survives this very deadly attack, they get to do Legendary Long Story event. Yeah, I've heard some real horror stories about this uh, with people saying that Hack City comes up and they have to deal with like a 10 to 15 hit attack. And there's just no way that you're surviving that this early in the game. Uh, but I was reading, interestingly enough, that the if the target survives Hack City does apply if you are targeted by the attack and then dash out of range. If you got dash uh, in Latin year four, that'd be fantastic. That's true, but uh, that is an option for you there. But Hack City could be really, really nasty uh, if you have bad rolls, especially. Yes, yeah. Um, how do you feel about Legendary Lungs, the fighting art, when you do manage to get it from the story event? Because uh, I've uh, I've had a number of different experiences with people I played with. Well, I think the we actually just got it for the first time during this campaign here, right, Josh? Yeah, this is actually the first time we ever got it. We never managed to get it before, and I don't think we got it. Did we get it from Hack City or we get it from something else? I believe we got it from something else. Oh, we got it from Gorm, I think. Gorm gives that to you, doesn't it? Level two? Uh, I believe that's correct. On the the, uh, the actual... Yeah, the Fetid Grotto, I believe, will give you Hack City as a possible combination, I want to say. Yes, on the blind exit, you can get it on a 10. And it also has some interactions with Legendary Lungs um, as well, but... uh... We'll talk about that more when we do finally get to talk about the Gorm for to that. Yeah, but, but uh, the uh, legendary lungs, it seems useful if you put it on the right weapons. Because if you start stacking that on a highly accurate, high-speed weapon or something of the sort, you could really put yourself into a lot of trouble. But this would also go nice on a nice grand weapon where you can get, get some extra damage in that has a, a slow speed. Right, That's I true. think... I think a grand weapon, like if you put this on the Zambato or something of the sort and you're able to get yourself one or two maybe additional attacks if you're not too terribly concerned about hitting a super dense location or pulling the trap card, I think that this could be a very beneficial fighting art. Um, otherwise, you want to make sure you use it with the right weapons is what it all boils down to. What yes, your, yes. What are your thoughts on it, Ben? Um, well, I... <laughs> We've had uh, Hack City in our Sunday campaign, which just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago. Um, and to be honest, both the survivors who had it uh, had a different reaction to it. Um, my friend Jim it decided he wanted to dump it because he was having a lot of trouble and problems with it. On the other hand, I had it. I was where I, I was also a swordmaster, and I have a had a black sword. So I was like, "Well, that's hits for days." Um, I tended to roll. Four dice, I was hitting on two pluses, dealing wounds on two pluses. So basically I was like, as long as I don't hit the trap, we're going to shred monsters. So I kept it on for as long as possible. But I was always conscious, you know, triggering traps, hitting them. Legendary lungs can kind of cause that to happen. And if I remember correctly, it's not optional. You have to roll those extra dice. It would make an interesting spear build, possibly. 
Yes, yeah, it would do. There's not a lot of super high-speed spears. I think they're about two, but they do tend to have about five accuracy. All right, so let's go into the next card. We're going to go into the uh, advanced uh, intimidate card, which is the Gaze of Truth. Um, the butcher looms over the target mere inches from their face. If the butcher is adjacent to the target, they roll d10. Three plus target suffers brain damage equal to the mantra level, is knocked down, and gains plus two understanding, and gains a random disorder. There's a lot of stuff happening on that card. Oh, yeah. So could this be used for understanding loop? I've never used the butcher for that, but if that was one of his final cards? It certainly seems that way. I wouldn't have ever thought to use the butcher for an understanding loop, but you would also be in a random disorder loop, and you'd also be in a brain damage loop as well. So there are some downfalls to doing it with the butcher, uh, as opposed to the white lion. Yes, yeah. I don't think I'd want to be... uh doing this too much i mean the brain damage is a bit more effort than with the white lion yeah but if you if you get frenzied and get enough insanity on your rolls and stuff you might be able to to deal with it possibly that's true that's true i I don't think it's something anyone's considered really doing before or at least hasn't talked about doing it so um yeah i hadn't thought of this maybe i'll have to give it a try sometime if the opportunity comes up it would be nice to uh, get something from the butcher other than you know, the usual rewards you get for beating him. Yeah, and then someone in chat was also saying Immortal Generator, so you could kind of cycle through disorders with this possibly too. Yeah, Immortal. Isn't that going to get looked at? The Immortal Stark Ravens combination is getting looked at, so I I don't know exactly what's happening, but they're going to try to break it. (laughs) You mean fix it? Yeah, fix it, break it, something. I hope they remember about the other items that uh, give out insanity permanently as well, and other disorders and things. Alright, so let's go into the last three AI cards we have, um, which are uh, all mood cards. So let's go to uh, Forbidden Light first. So when this comes in play, you you draw an AI card that everyone, not just adjacent, everyone surrounding him is, uh, and it's their turn in his light radius, they gain a minus one strength token. Um, at the end of the monster's turn, you place a token on this, and if this has five plus tokens, you get rid of this mood card and all the minus one strength tokens that were generated from it. Yeah, so this kind of, like, the light gradually builds up and weakens and then um, fades away. I I kind of hate this card, just because it's so much bookkeeping. It really is, like, fiddly and awkward to play with. I like the theme to it, but, oh my goodness, if it doesn't really annoy me every time it turns up, I just want to get rid of it, and luckily, I can. Yeah, it's a lot of bookkeeping for that card, and it's not even, like terrible i mean the strength is annoying but they go away after a while which is what makes it not that bad so i don't know yeah uh, there's not even enough strength tokens i think really to cover things properly is there all right and then next we have uh embrace the pain so when this comes to play you draw another a card when the butcher's wounded place a token on this card the start of each monster's turn if the embrace the pain has two plus tokens remove all tokens and perform basic action so he's going to do an extra attack every single uh, every time you do Two plus wounds in it in a round. Yeah. Um, so, again, I, you notice as well that these moods, they tend to be like the hit play and you get another card triggering immediately as well. So the kind of the butcher doesn't slow down when he gets in a mood. He uh, he keeps powering on. Um, this one reminds me a little bit of a powered up version of the White Lion one, which I believe does something similar, but you need three tokens. Uh, it's, it's kind of bad because, I mean, let's face it, the butcher attacking with a basic and then going twice is is pretty scary and the basic is um it's about a hack basically two speed four accurate four plus accuracy one damage and one bleeding token afterwards so 
I don't like this one. I don't like it being in play. Um, obviously, uh, there's only one way you're getting rid of this. Well, two ways. One, kill the butcher. Two, whisker harp. I'm going to carry on harping on about it. I'm going to convert everyone. Keep harping on about it. I love the puns, Fen. I've got to do something when I haven't got, you know, I've got no ability to crack funny jokes, so lowest common denominator. <laughs> and then we're going to go to the last, uh, the most interesting move card to me, at least, the Lantern Frenzy. Um, random survivor gets the priority token, and it cannot be removed for any reason. You draw a card. While the Frenzy isn't played, the Butcher gains plus two movement and plus one speed token. At any time, the survivor of the priority token may sacrifice himself and lead the Butcher far away. They perish, and their gear is archived, and the showdown immediately skip the aftermath. Um, and you discard this mood if the priority token, whoever has the priority token, is killed. Yeah, yeah, th- this is a nightmare. Before we get into it, I've got a little hypothetical question for you here to consider. Now, obviously, when you get this um, uh, priority token, Lantern Frenzy says that it cannot be removed for any reason. Now, what happens if you get rid of this Lantern Frenzy by... Uh, lion uh, by whisker harp in it now is the priority token still unable to be removed which i assume would be the case with rule of death or is it because lantern frenzy has been removed from play no longer uh, is it unable to be removed and can you remove it how i would interpret that is that since the text that states that it could no longer be removed is no longer there then that effect goes away and it would be indeed a removable uh priority token that's what I was hoping. Uh, what about you, Josh? Uh, yeah, I, I would hope that would be the way, but no inputs in them, it might just be like, nope, they're stuck with it. I imagine that's what they'd hope. I don't know if they've thought about this um, with regards to doing it, but uh, it's one of those things we can put on the list of questions to put to Poots and the guys if we ever get the opportunity. Uh, but yeah, Lantern Frenzy is absolutely terrifying when you can't get rid of it um i think this for me is the butcher's signature card this is one of the ones that feels like it should be legendary i mean the butcher's got plus two movement and extra speed token you got this oh sacrifice um to uh you know to to end the uh showdown and skip the aftermath ability but you'd have to sacrifice all of the gear on your character so i guess you could if you wanted to go into um a fight with like four survivors who haven't got anything valuable at all try and trigger lantern frenzy and then end the fight like that with no punishment but um i don't think i want to be doing that yeah this actually happened to us when we were playing at uh one of the cons over here we had this and Anne was playing with us and she decided she was going to run away with all the gear and uh that's how that fight ended that's Ooh, a horrible nasty. decision <laughs> i think she was uh, like a turn away from dying so she felt it was better for her to run away than for her to die and us to try to beat him yeah. I guess, I guess. Um, so back to your hypothetical there, I was thinking about this, Fen. So if you use the Whisker Harp to remove Lantern Frenzy, uh, it just gets discarded and eventually reshuffled, correct? Yep, yep. So when it gets drawn again, you would have to give the priority token to someone else, no? Absolutely. So I think that that kind of validates the uh, concept of if that card goes away, the priority token is then removable. Yeah, I, I think so as well. So... Uh, all of a sudden, I don't feel quite so bad about Lantern Frenzy anymore, and I feel kind of keen to uh, make sure I build at least two Whisker Harps whenever I uh, play where the Butcher's going to be around. What am I saying? I build two anyhow. How I always do. All right, so that's the last AI card he has. So we have two traits that we didn't go over, which are his level two and level three traits. 
So first up, this comes up at a level 2. This is the Frenzied Berserker, which is instead of plus 1 AA cards each turn, it's plus 2 AA cards each turn. So he's doing 3 plus attacks each turn because a lot of his cards say, draw an AA card. Yeah, he becomes a real pain in the ass when that comes up. Yeah, yeah, this is... uh, I've I've, always enjoyed the reaction from people when the level 2 Butcher turns up and they go, what? He does what? You know, it's just... it's. It's a joy. Yeah, the first time Frenzy Berserker came up for us, it was kind of like a, are you serious? Because we had dealt with the Berserker before, and we thought that that was bad enough. But of course, they have to take it to the next level. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, it is quite um, an, quite quite a card, this. I mean, don't think there's any other monster that comes near to this level of ferocity. And um, I, I, I gotta say, though, I just look at this now, and that card art is just... Oh my god, that's fantastic! Look at it. Yeah, that's probably one of the almost one of the best pieces of card art in the game. I think it's second to Poots Sunstalker drawn on one of the hit location cards. That Sunstalker drawing's fantastic. This when I started looking at the art, I completely forgot what my point was going to be originally, and just like I was trying not to laugh. It's it's brilliant. All right, so let's go to his level three trait card. This is get so he keeps frenzied berserker, so he doesn't get any faster. He doesn't draw three an extra three cards a turn anymore, but he becomes invincible. Um, can can I just say first before anything, f this card seriously. This card is one of the biggest bullshit traits in the entire game. It's yeah, everybody says f the level three butcher because of this card. So the butcher is invincible. When the butcher is wounded, roll a d10. On a result of six plus, the wound roll fails. Um, and me and Matt had a team that we were wounding the shit out of the butcher every time we went to go see if the check worked or not. We failed it every single fucking time. Um, this was this was our A team of survivors. We had some incredible survivors on this hunt. Uh, I think one of them was a savior, maybe two. And our best survivor in the game was like the only one left at that point. Uh, all the other three got killed, and he was going for the kills, and it just wasn't happening. So we had to tuck our tail between our legs and run away, and it was a horrible feeling. And we're rolling like two plus hits, two plus damages, but nope, doesn't matter because you rolled and your hit wasn't confirmed. I get the idea behind this card, but I do feel this is sort of the game design that's not good, because this is an unbound ability. If you're unlucky, then you could not wound the Butcher ever, and there's no way to sort of control and deal with this except trying to hit as many times as you possibly can. Now, I hope the whole design of the Butcher sort of does kind of encourage you to attack as much as possible but i feel like if you haven't got i think it's sweet death ability which allows you to use weapon masteries when you're frenzied um you forget about it this is just really tough um although he does look very serene and he's modeling very nicely there at the bottom isn't he yeah because he knows you're not going to kill him with that card out he almost looks coy fen do you have your copy of your card with you do you see the letters dd behind his head Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay, I, I I just wasn't sure what that was. That is odd. I'm zoomed in on that now, and that's that's weird. Uh, I could only assume that is a misprint of some kind, some leftover text. Um, or maybe it's a secret message. The Butcher Legs Double Ds. Double Death. It stands for Double Death. Oh, way to drag the tone of the conversation down, Matt. Yeah, whatever. All right, some other things to make note of is a level 2 Butcher gets plus 1 speed, plus 1 damage, which is pretty normal for increases. Level 3 is plus 2, plus 2, but also gets plus 2 accuracy tokens, which is really nasty because all those plus 4s are now plus 2s. Yes. 
Uh, it's also worth uh, noting that he goes from 9 toughness at level 1 to 12 at level 2 and 15 to level 3. Uh, but to be honest, um, at the stage you normally fight at level 3, which normally is in Lantern Year 20+, plus, uh, you should be able to hit at 15. It's just Invincible that's going to be your big problem. Right, yeah. so that 15 effectively turns into a 30. And then his health is a 13 first time, 16, and then a 22. Yeah, on the whole... Um, with the exception of being invincible, the Butcher's kind of one of the tamer nemesis monsters near the top end, uh, at least at level two. At level three, I think if he didn't have invincible, he would probably be considered to be fairly straightforward. But with invincible, I've seen a lot of people say he's just a little bit short of the level three slender man in how difficult he is. You know what would be a cool thing if they did with the invincible thing is instead, when you go to roll, you roll 2d10s for the wound attempt and you take the lower die. Yeah, that's, I think, I think that's that would be a lot more fun and mechanic than, than rolling a second die and just like, no, 50% chance it's not going to work. I think I kind of like that, actually. And uh, the one thing we skipped over was his instinct, uh, which is menace, which is turn the butcher to face the closest survivor. The suffer- survivor suffers one brain damage per monster level. So if he has no target, that he just kind of does brain damage to people. All right, so what's next after the AI cards? We got the hit location location deck um i don't want to go through all the cards so any cards in particular you want to kind of point out then uh yeah so i think first of all it's worth looking at how he reacts and you notice there's something of a spread um he tends to react on four of the cards um it's an overall reaction he has two failure reactions um uh, sorry two failure reactions and two hybrid wound and failure reactions where he does two different things on them. Sorry, he actually has four reflex actions. I mislaid one. Um, he also has two impervious locations and one super dense. And this is often maybe the first time people encounter super dense, uh, especially the amount he gets shuffled in. Uh, the main ones I think that are really worth noting is the furious shoulder. When you hit him, he will react by spinning violently and knocking down people and knocking them back five. Um, so this again is kind of that don't all be clustered up close next to the uh, to the butcher. Um, a lot of his other reactions tend to cause him to cause damage to people or attack. As I said, the cleavers are interesting because they give you insanity to protect your brain a little bit from the damage, but they are impervious. Um, for the most part, I think the two which we want to really discuss is the Furious Breastplate and the Furious Scrag. So, uh, Matt, uh, do you want to have a look at one of these two and tell us your thoughts? Uh, unfortunately, I don't have the hit location cards available to see right now. It'll so, just be up well, on the screen. Yeah, I'll pull up on the screen. Let me read the uh, Furious Breastplate real quick. It's plus, plus two toughness to this wound location. And this is the Lantern Explosion. This is where you don't want to crit. If you roll to wound, this hit location is a Lantern 10. Your attack shatters one of the trophy lanterns hanging on the butcher's chest, causing a wailing explosion that sears your corneas. The attacker is knocked down and suffers the blinded severe injury, head injury, and you remove any trophies on dreaded trophies. And if I recall, blind is minus one accuracy and plus one bleed token. Yep, and you get it twice and you're retired. And that's when you get your dark little sunglasses and you get a stick and you poke everyone in. You can get an eye patch. It does make you a badass if you are missing an eye. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, 
uh, this one's kind of a reverse critical hit if you look at it, really, because you roll a lantern 10, which is normally a crit. This would be a successful wound automatically, but you get severely punished for doing it, um, which I think is quite an interesting little mechanic. And I know this is one of the cards people often comment on when they hit it. Yeah, it's definitely the uh, the negative crit location, but uh, the one interesting thing is the removing a mini from the dreaded trophies thing. So I don't know, maybe there's a reason you'd want to trigger that. I don't see dreaded trophies being all that bad that you would want to blind someone in an attempt for it. It can but... mount up quite a bit against the two and three. That's true. All the uh, recursive attacks there could really have that stack uh, pretty quickly, I guess. Yeah, it's not like you have much control anyway. You have to roll a lantern 10 to trigger this. So, you know, there's not any way to manipulate that with luck or anything. Yeah, it would be interesting if this was a uh, an actual crit location and if your luck modified it. So it's almost like a hindrance for having a luck build character. Yeah. Yeah, that would make this real dangerous. All right, so let's go through the other uh, hit location, the Furious Scrag, which is his Deathblow card. Uh, do you have the new text on this card in front of you, Fan? I do. All right, so let me read the first part, and then you could read. Um, this is the only card that will now have a critical hit on it. Um, if the butcher is killed at this location, it is beheaded. Curiously, its lifeless body remains standing. The survivor rejoices, and the moment changes them forever. Each survivor may select either plus one permanent evasion or accuracy. Add plus to the results on your roll to the butcher's reward in the aftermath. Yep, and the critical hit, uh, critical wound even, sorry, is the butcher is shocked. You get may gain the mighty strike fighting art. Do you have a copy of that to hand, Josh? Otherwise, I uh, I don't have it in front of me it. right now. I believe Mighty Strike is when you roll a d10. If you roll a 10 perfect hit, you get an additional attack. Mighty Strike is on a perfect hit. You get plus two strength, I believe. Correct, oh, okay. it is. Yeah, plus two strength until the end of the attack. So it will affect all of the hit locations. Yeah. I'm not sure if it stacks. If you roll multiple perfect hits, it probably doesn't. Yeah, um, so you want to be, remember this card because this one is one of the things that uh, we will come back to talk about in a moment. Um, I, I think thematically the interesting thing here is that its lifeless body remains standing. Um, so this, I think, feeds into my theory that the Butcher is kind of like a Jason, Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers type that you kill him and he regenerates from his constitutional parts and constituent parts even constitutional constituent parts and um comes back and to menace more survivors here and there which is why i i subscribe to the there is one butcher and he is one of the boogeymen of of kingdom death all right so we got one more hit location card that we need to go over his uh his trap guard so uh overpowered um this is where he attacks everyone adjacent to him attackers doom and everyone in his zone gets one bleeding token and knockback five and then he does a basic attack against the attacker yes That's- as for trap cards, it's not too bad besides only if everyone's standing right adjacent to him. Um, if you actually have a reach weapon, you kind of ignore most of this and just get a basic attack against you. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not terrible. Um, it does that bleed if you're not paying attention. You happen to hit it. could really be problematic just because you're not expecting it. You could think that, uh, oh, well, I still have my other survivor's turn to use bandages on me, if anything. And then you get your fifth bleeding token or something like that. Yeah, it's quite likely to hit the person who triggers it with two bleeding tokens, given how much the butcher dishes out bleeding tokens. So, yeah, you can be sat on three thinking, I don't need to bandage yet, and all of a sudden, boom, you're gone. All right, so that's that's it for the hit location deck. So let's go into uh, rewards. 
Oh, yeah. Just give me a second. I'm opening up my book here. Absolutely. Uh, I do have it open already. Um, so you get to roll. First of all, you gain the usual hunt XP. You gain the weapon proficiency if eligible. And you gain um, the rewards table. Uh, if you're defeated, he will destroy all of the um well he, he destroys he smashes at the settlement and effectively destroys all the resources because they end up getting used in repairing the settlement uh josh um can you go through the rewards yeah so you roll a d10 and you add the butcher's level to your card if you get the death blow card you get an additional plus two uh, which is really nice and it lets you get the last thing on here if you get that uh one through three the butcher just vanishes um four through six uh you get 1d5 broken lanterns seven through nine you get the one broken lantern and the butcher's cleaver. So let me show that card off real quick. So the butcher's cleaver. It's a two speed, five plus accuracy, five strength. It's paired. Uh, so you get two of these for four speed total. It's an axe. Um, it's sentinel. It must be placed. You can only be insane to activate it, and it's irreplaceable, which means when you die, you archive this card. So what are your thoughts on the uh, the cleaver, Fen? Um. In the core game alone, I kind of like it because there's not a lot of good axes to get early on until you get to the counterweight axe. Um, and I'd say, is that a cat? Yeah, Lucy's uh, attacking the cards. Well, obviously, um, Lucy approves of the Butcher's Cleaver as well. Um, yeah, so this is actually a very good weapon because it's low speed, it's good accuracy, it's high strength, it's fantastic for the time of game when you get it. And as I was going to say, axes... They're in my top five or six weapon masteries. Um, the only difficulty with them being is that they, you know, you've got the two amazing defensive weapon masteries of fist and tooth and shield, and then you've got the amazing offensive ones of bow, katar, and grand weapon. So axes, often people leave them by the side. But if I get a butcher's cleaver, I'm going to be going for axes. And um, yeah, I, I love these. I'm not so fussed about it being paired, and I think you know my feelings on um, paired weaponry anyway. Um, but I don't mind having like multiples of this weapon. How about you guys? I mean, it's definitely a pretty handy weapon. Uh, yeah, a bonus on the the paired thing there. I agree with that. That it seems like it's something that's better than it is in your first playthrough or two. Um, but otherwise, it's a pretty solid weapon. The five plus is nice. Five strength is pretty solid. It's it's nice overall, and Axe does have a pretty good uh, weapon proficiency. It's a good build to have. Yeah. yeah. Do you, I was gonna say, do you have a counterweight axe to hand there, Josh? A counterweight axe, I don't have it right available, but it is on a perfect hit. You do an automatic wound without drawing a hit location card. Yeah. I was just wondering, I couldn't remember the strength for it. I think it's a little bit weaker, but I can check. Uh, it's okay, I've got it now. Um, it's a four and a six. So yeah, the, this is definitely better stat-wise than the counterweight axe. So uh, I actually realized when we on the next section we talk about builds, I forgot to include the counterweight axe, but I wasn't dipping too heavily into the weapon crafter. Uh, so I'll touch on that a little later. But this, I think this is a nice big power spike if you get it in Lantern Year 4 by beating the Butcher. I also like, um, I know we're going to the promo cards now, but the, the new cloak that came with... Uh... Allison, I believe, the dormant cloak. Uh, yes, it's a nice yeah. pair with this, so you don't have to worry about Sentinel anymore, and you can use this if you're not insane. Yeah, I imagine that's looking to maybe be a built-in part of 1.5. I think at least that's the impression I got. So other people should be able to get it more often. It certainly makes the the hooded knight my least favorite individual in the entire Kingdom Death to be a bit less of an idiot. All right, so let's go to the next rewards. So if we roll a 10 through 12, you get the uh, Butcher Cleaver, 
1d5 lantern resources, and you get the hunk of living flesh, which allows you to regrow one dismembered limb right now only. Yep, this one you don't want to forget about. This is a reason why you, uh, you, you'll take uh, survivors with less than the requ- normal acceptable amount of limbs in for a fight, because you aim for this. Yeah, I kind of wish that the, uh, the hunk of flesh was able to be brought back to the settlement. Um, but I could see why that would be a little bit much. Just think if uh, Hope hadn't had her head exploded, she could have got this. She would have gotten one of her arms back. Yeah. And then uh, the last piece of gear uh, is if you roll 13+, plus, you get the Forsaker Mask, which is probably my favorite mask in the game. Yeah, the Forsaker Mask is is very nice. Uh, I was reading up on all the masks earlier just to refamiliarize myself, and that's such a solid, solid piece of equipment right there. So it gives you two head armor. It's unique and replaceable and accessory. And at the start of your act, if you're insane, you get plus one uh, activation. Um, the other thing you can do with this is you can archive the card to gain the mask maker's settlement location. Yep. Yep. It's worth noting that as an accessory, you can wear this on top of uh, another piece of headgear so you can keep weapon, uh, keep armor sets together. But generally, my first one of these I get gets archived. Do you like the mask maker? I very much rate the mask maker. It, there's some stuff in that's fantastic. And also, uh, I don't think I'm playing right solo if I'm not going after legendaries at some point. Yeah, I, we typically we kept this around for a bit, and then uh, and then we archive it late game when, when we could start actually looking at that stuff. Because it's a nice boon early game. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, I just think, and I think it's now it's time that we started talking about the heart flute. Um if you're going to start using the heart flute and going for it, then you need to get this archive to try and redraw it. So um, should we discuss farming the butcher then? Absolutely. I know this was discussed in the uh, Twitch chat right now. I saw someone bringing that up and it's definitely been a cause for concern, especially with the new 1.5 updates. Absolutely. Right. So the original um, heart flute, actually uh, you could farm with it, but there was a risk. Um, in that you could either die, which has remained on the new card, or you could end up having to fight a um, nemesis that was a higher level than the previous ones you'd fought. So you could accidentally put yourself in a situation where you're trying to roll for a level one butcher, and instead you have a level two or even level three butcher turn up. Right, and the uh, the big part about the farming it is the rewards that we can get from the butcher, not just the uh, butcher's cleavers or forsaker mask or stuff like that, but... I believe there's some nice stat buffs that you could that you could also farm, correct? Correct. Yeah, you can uh, take a level one butcher. You can uh, once you are geared up, you should be able to handle a level one reasonably well, um, due to hit the weaknesses that the butcher does have that you can exploit. And uh, you can trim the deck down using the old classic, the um, cat's eye circlet, get him down to the death blow, hit it, and everyone can have plus one. At Accuracy or plus one evasion. Needless to say, I think you take plus one evasion, and then you can go after the butcher again, but with even more evasion. Um, on top of that, the butcher dying tends to put out a lot of scrap, which is fantastic if you're trying to get um, lantern gear together. Right, and the hard flute is usable every year, correct? I believe so. I don't have a copy of the um, Redom one now. Um, I'm, as a chat is saying, Poots is going to look at it, and I certainly hope he does, because even the original heart flute was a bit broken. The revised one is too good, and I don't think they thought about the consequences involving the butcher and the hand. 
And one thing to note about the Butcher is it's really easy to farm his death blow cards since you can just wait a turn and he reshuffles his hit location deck and just keep checking it till it's near the top. Yep. And especially if you have some uh, good tanking or high evasion builds, you can just sit there and let him run through his AI deck and you don't really care. You're just waiting for the prime spot to attack him with certain hit locations or, you know, let him just keep doing his basics until he shuffles the uh, critical location on the top, the death blow card. Yeah, certainly when you get to about Lantern Year 10 plus, a level 1 Butcher is, is not should not be a threat anymore unless you've had a very bad run on your resource gains. All right, and it also is of note there that if you are beating the level 3 Butcher uh, with Memento Mori, you get a much better chance of getting the Forsaker Mask. Uh, yes, yeah, you... you um, Well, it's 90% chance of getting it. Uh... I find it kind of interesting that there's no drawback to this. It actually says uh, if a cement settlement has Memento Mori when they defeat a level 3 plus Butcher, roll 1d10. On the results of 2 plus, nominate a survivor. The survivor cuts off their own face and fashions it into a mask. You gain the Forsaken Mask rare gear. You may gain this benefit once per campaign. Um, I, I mean, you know, you have a survivor with no face. <laughs> Surely that should do something. Well, no, he just cut it off and then put it back on, so he's wearing it like a mask again. You know? Yeah, but so. somebody else can wear it. Well, then, yeah, I can see why that could cause a problem. <laughs> so, yeah, it is really odd the way that they worded that and causes a little bit of issues in terms of the uh, the uh, backstory for the character, but, you know, whatever faceless gets Joe. you from Acer Mask. Yeah, Faceless Joe, there we go. Yeah, uh, it's it's not really important mechanically at all. But it's just one of those things where I just th- I just don't want to think about it too hard because I mean, geez, I mean, send him off for some intimacy. That'll go down well. Maybe that's their fetish. Uh, if it, if it wasn't, it is now. <laughs> all right, so that's pretty much everything on the butcher. You want to start talking about some more gear and stuff like that now? Absolutely. So do you guys want to go first a bit? We'll sort of work through. So we'll work through in categories. I think the very first thing we want to do is talk about the principal ideas of the different classes of characters in the game. So um, do you guys want to talk about one of the ones that you use? Uh, and then I'll talk about one of the ones I use. Uh, before I know that, what do you want to go into the mask maker first and go over those? Oh, um, yeah, I guess we could do the mask maker now. That makes sense. Yes. All right. So any mask you want to talk about first or uh, should I just start putting these down randomly? I think uh, we'll start, we'll do them alphabetically, shall we? And we'll start with the antelope mask. All right, so all the masks give two armor up to the head, and they're all unique and replaceable and accessories. Um, What they all do is they have a special ability when you get the affinities for them, typically. So the antelope mask is at the start of your act, if you're insane, you gain plus one movement. And that's a movement action, not just one movement stat. Yeah, um, you do. You'll notice that uh, it requires two red and two blue to activate this. Um, and the Screaming Antelope Armor, which we talked about last time, only provides one red and one blue. Well, yeah, one blue and one half blue, if I remember correctly, or two half blues. So you've got a bit more work to get this activated. It is, if you want to thematically stick it on the screaming antelope armor, which let's face it, if you're assembling models, that's probably how you want to do this. Um, this one's kind of, for me, it's like, it's all right. You know, it's a, it's a nice little bit of utility. I mainly, I make this one so I can go after the, um, the mad God. Have, uh, have you guys ever had any experience with this one? I don't believe we've ever made this mask, but I'm thinking about it now and it seems like it would sync up interestingly with the, um, Oh, that one Dung Beetle Knight fighting art. Uh, 
with oh got a hype overdrive oh i can't think of the name i know the one you're talking about um yeah give me one moment the dpk one the uh propulsion drive. yeah propulsion propulsion drive propulsion yeah drive. whenever you move uh four plus spaces you put a token on it and then you have the possibility of when it has five plus tokens getting a d10s worth of extra strength and luck tokens for your attack yeah yeah um that's uh, something to sort of think about if you are using expansions. Um, in the core game, though, mostly this just gives you a lot of extra mobility, the ability to chase. Uh, it's quite useful with the steel shield if you happen to have it, because, of course, that will slow you down quite a bit. Um, it's also worth mentioning all of these masks, can you can get them from the Mask Maker event in the hunt. And um, Although whenever I encounter him, he always gives us the lion mask. Always. I think we've had the same the same issue. I All right, think so I only go got into... the god mask once from him, which is I don't know how you do the affinities for that. <laughs> yeah, in the core game it's tricky. Alright, so next up is the death mask, which is I think is my favorite mask. Um uh this one actually doesn't have any affinities that you need to get. It says if you have no affinities, it gain plus four luck and minus four and suffer minus four to all severe injury rolls. I yeah. love the concept of this mask because I think it's a really neat trade-off. Um, luck is just so, so valuable in this game. Uh, but you really put yourself in a really crappy position with minus four to severe injury rolls because then all of a sudden you're looking at a 50%, 50% chance of dying on any severe injury roll, essentially. Absolutely. Uh, you want to pack some acanthus for sure. And if you've got expansions available, unbreakable is kind of helpful. Um I like that this one doesn't require affinities to activate. Uh, it's the only one of these masks that does. Um, I've heard some cool stories from people who have stuffed this onto um, like all sorts of kinds of bows and different weapons. I've never had it. That's what we actually tried to do. Um, and the cool thing, like you can't use affinities with this mask, so all the affinity builds you can make just don't work with it. But exactly. it works really well with bows because most of the bows don't have affinities and you get arrows and stuff which have no affinities on them. And you can get a really deadly ranged bow person who shouldn't be getting touched. And uh, they should be able to survive pretty well. And me and Matt were almost able to make this mask with one of our with a survivor who just got, or just about to get, uh, bow mastery. And they died, like, the fight before we could all put this together. And they would have been critting on a 2+, plus, and it was going to be amazing. And sadly, something killed her. And Isn't this that was, always uh, a story? This was core game, too. So this wasn't even with the Vespertine, I believe. Right, Josh? Yeah, this was just uh, the cat, the cat cut bow. But alas, that is Kingdom Death. Yeah, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Now this is quite a costly mask to make, but it's not too difficult. It's minus one population with six bone and four organ. So a lot of resources. You lose someone, but I mean, you get a heck of a tool. All right. So let's go to the next mask, which is the God Mask. Um, and this requires two red, two green, two blue affinities to have complete. And at the start yep. of your act, if insane, gain plus one survival. And I feel like there's, like, I think it's an expansion. There's fighting arts that give you plus one survival if you have none. And there's other things that just work better than this mask. Uh, considering all you need to get to activate it. Yeah, there are. Um, it is It is worth sort of mentioning, uh, as I said before, this has some synergy with the aforementioned screen and antelope armor. Because that covers most of the affinities you need to get this sorted and just leaves you a little bit short to finish it off. Plus, the original screaming antelope armor, which is going to be changed, uh, was built around being insane to make it very powerful. So I think that may have been one of the initial design intentions is for the god mask to be work used with screaming armor. Um, 
and maybe like a spear build or the like. Uh, yeah, it's not the most powerful of the abilities, but there is some good stuff you can do with gaining survival, um, especially uh, with expansion stuff. And we'll touch back on this in the future. I certainly got some stuff to talk about this if I remember when talking about the Lion God. And I believe as well, when I talk about uh, Spidiculus, there's a build as well. All right. And then we have, uh, next up is the Man Mask, which is an interesting mask, and I haven't really looked at this one before. And it requires a green and a red affinity, which is pretty easy to get. And if insane, you may spend negative attribute tokens in place of survival. You don't really get yourself into too many situations where you're getting a bunch of negative attribute tokens, but I could see with the expansions this being interesting, especially if you're doing with the uh, the forest wants what it wants, and just, yeah, I'll, I don't care, I'll take some negative attribute tokens on my character. But other than that, I don't see it being overtly useful, unless I'm missing a circumstance that uh, could be more popular. Yeah. Um, I think this may well be the tamest of the masks overall. Uh, certainly the most hard to manipulate, as you said. But yeah, it has some potential when you start looking at the expansions. Um, I like the way it looks, I do I must say. You know, I really want to build masks, survivors, and this one's on my list, but I can't figure out what armor I'd want to put this on in a build. This is what for when you get the overwhelming darkness and you roll low and you get minus three luck tokens, and then you just start using them as survival. Yeah, yeah, I suppose, yeah, that's something you certainly do. Nothing it's you different... can plan on. No, no, not really. Yeah, there's not a lot of builds that manage to generate minus tokens. Um, now, thinking off the top of my head, we'd have to, definitely have to go into expansions. The Pulse Lantern gives out a minus one accuracy token, but that's not guaranteed, and it's only once a showdown. So, yeah, this is a tricky one to use. It seems far more niche than many of the others. All right, so next up is the Phoenix Mask. Uh, this is four red affinities. If insane, you may dodge one additional time per round. That seems interesting, but there are fighting arts that give you that ability, as well as there's even a disorder that gives you that uh, ability as well. So I don't know about taking up a gear slot with that, but it, would those stack with each other that I'm assuming? Uh, they're different abilities, so yes. So it would be interesting, nice and dodgy in that way, but uh, you still have to spend the survival to do it. So I don't know. I don't feel that this is that worth it to me. Yeah, uh, I think for me the biggest problem is this is four reds to activate, and that's quite a tall ask in the core set. Um, if you're playing People of the Bone, maybe it's a bit easier because you're reliant on bone weapons a lot more, and they do have uh, red affinities uh, all over the place on bone weapons. But the main thing I'm disappointed about this is these affinities are nowhere near the Phoenix armor, so I can't make a cool-looking survivor who wears a Phoenix mask. Um, it's sort of, you know, it's a hard one for me to come up with a good build to, to, to put it around. Whereas I've come up with a build for the Antelope Mask, the Death Mask, even the God Mask, the Man Mask, um, and the White Lion Mask. The Phoenix Mask is the one that still evades me on how to use it in the game. All right, Josh, so then what's next up on the schedule? Oh, the last mask we have is the White Lion Mask, which is two green affinities, and if you're insane, you may spend an activation to lose all your survival and gain that many plus one strength tokens. I'm curious as to how this would stack up with, like, an Acanthus Doctor build or something. I did uh, suggest this to you guys in um, channel earlier this week, but unfortunately you got Cancer Pigeon. So, yeah, it's very, very good, especially with the way you chained things, because you could have uh, activated this 
to gain all the strength tokens equal to your survival, spent then transformed all the survival into luck tokens and just gone, well, I crit everything short of some of the legendaries on the 2+. plus. Yeah, uh, the only per- issue with that was uh, you need one survival to activate the uh, luck token thing. Yeah, yeah, as I said, you got, uh, unfortunately, Kingdom Death had other ideas. It wasn't going to let you break the game that way that day. It's funny that the game kind of balanced itself out for us there. Yeah, maybe it uh, it's managed to conceal some of the things you can do with this away from Poots and Co. And maybe we'll manage to sneak it through. All right, so that's all the monster gear. Uh, I think we briefly want to touch about the the leather crafter and the weaponsmith. I don't know if we need to walk we... through all the gear, but just kind of yeah. just a general of what they are and what they yep. give. So yep. the uh... Before... go ahead. I was just say before we do, uh, we do want to just mention the other use for three of the masks. Um, and I. And we're planning in the future to go heavily into this, uh, but three of the masks, the lion one, the um, phoenix one, and the antelope one can be uh, used with a mask maker location to go on a hunt to find the uh, relevant legendaries. And within the core game, these three are the absolute sort of beasts of, of the setting. Uh, they're the great golden cat, the mad steed, and the golden eyed king of a thousand years. Um, and still to date, I've not heard of anyone beating the Golden Eyed King within an actual live game. I've done it on a test game with um, set-up survivors, um, but I've no idea how you get to the point you can beat it um, regularly. I think that may change with 1.5 extending the timeline, etc. But uh, it's a hell of an experience. The Golden Eyed King is fantastic. Um, so yeah, but that's the other reason you want to get the masks unlocked is if you want to do this cool, exciting stuff of hunting the really big badasses, you need it. So yeah, uh, we'll just go on to our two other locations we're going to touch at. Um, uh, we'll start with the leather worker, I think, because armor is always my favorite thing. Yeah, so the leather worker, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't have the cards in front of me there, I believe all two armor, correct? Uh, well, on the leather, um, worker. Yeah. They're base three. Alright, yeah. they're base three and they don't so what's when do we have here? The uh the head armor gives you plus two insanity when you depart. Um the boots if you have the, the green gift inf- mask. Yeah. Uh the boots give you plus one movement if you have the two green affinities linked. The bracers give you plus two survival. And that's about it for the actual armor set. But what I love about the armor set is the set bonus. Ben, you wanna go into that a little? Uh yeah. Um if I had my uh copy of the leather in front of me. Can you um, put the card out in front? Because uh, I can't quite find it at the moment. Yeah, let me go. Thank you. Um, and while uh, while Josh grabs that, I will sort of talk a little bit. Uh, leather is it's a set that I consider to be my first tanking set. So I'll build Rawhide as a priority for at least two survivors. But beyond that, then I'm looking to go on and make a leather set. Um, I find the extra movement after uh, you've acted to be quite useful. The fact that it still gives you survival is is very important because you can just run out of survival when you're tanking. Uh, and the plus insanity is a nice little bonus. On the whole, this is a tight, good set for um, when you're going to build your first tank. And yeah, the uh, big thing there is when you have a complete set, you get to ignore bash. You have four armor in each location and not get affected by bash, which is huge because that the, a lot of monsters bash you to mess with what's going on. Um, it's nice to be able to avoid that. And the other nice thing about leather armor is there's a lot of green affinities on it, so it's easy to activate monster grease and stuff like that. 
Oh yeah, yeah. It's a, it's got some good synergy with Monster Grease, which kind of makes up for it not having evasion built in. Um, you can almost think of this as being like an advanced version of Rawhide, which is kind of the tech tree progression of it, but it's it's very neatly done. Uh, I also appreciate the affinities on it, which um, allow you to activate certain weapons that you just can't manage to activate with uh, Rawhide. Yeah, and then, uh, so let's talk about, there's two other items there. There's the uh, Leather Shield, which is pretty much the first shield you'll get in the base game. Um, it's pretty much one of the best shields in the game, pound for pound. It's an incredible defensive item, this. Yeah, and the upgreen affinity is also really nice with it, too. Uh, but it's you add it's one armor to all hit locations, and then uh, you get your block one, which is you get to ignore hit when you use uh, an activation to activate it. Um, attacking with it's not great. It's a one eight one. Yeah, it's really not an offensive weapon. But it, it's all about being defensive with the shield. So um, it, it's really one of my favorite things. And I, I've even put like a beacon shield and a leather shield together on my character just to even get more. Um, more like a turtle. Yeah, more like a turtle. I was actually debating like if you just get all the shields from all the expansions, just put them on one character and just have them run around with just nine shields and see what happens. That yeah. might be the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, but terribly entertaining also. It would look fantastic on the actual model. It would look hilarious. I'd love to see you make a mini uh, that was like that fun. I, I wish I had the parts to, I would. Yeah, the um, it's also, uh, what I love about the round leather shield, on top of it being, um, you know, a very effective one armor to all locations for one slot, uh, you've got uh, shield mastery, which when you have that, then everyone in the settlement gets access to shield specialization, which means the le- round leather shield becomes two armor in all hit locations, which is fantastic. But this thing costs one leather, one bone, and one hide. That is one of the most efficient ways to armor someone up. If you've got a an archer who's got a slot spare and is still wearing loin, uh, just a cloth, give them a round leather shield. Suddenly they've got one in each location plus two in the waist. If you get to shield mastery, heck, they're wearing the equivalent of rawhide everywhere for one slot. Yeah, and then the last card in the uh, is the whip, which whips right now are not great. But uh, so this whip is a three six three, and it's tell... on a perfect hit. You uh, discard one mood in play. So Josh, tell that uh, whips aren't that great right now to the cancer pigeons. I, I said right now they're not. In the update, which we don't have the new cancer pigeon update, whips will be a lot more useful. Uh, so Sharp Chris here in Twitch chat wants to know if we talked about surge blocking. Uh, surge blocks surge. I'm assuming they mean they're uh, attacking and then using a surge afterwards to throw your shield up, so you're effectively attacking and defending all in one round. Yeah, that would be the idea, is you block the round before, and then you could surge. So I think you you can't stack blocks, so you can only do it once, but the idea would be is you get hit, you lose your block, and then you can block again by surging. Ah, okay. But yeah, the whips are interesting. Um, the fact that you can use it to get rid of moods might be beneficial if you don't have the the harp, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, you see, this I should really like the whip more because obviously I've talked up the um, the whisker harp quite a few times, uh, and removing moods is fairly important. The trouble with this is that. This this weapon's going to get you in trouble. I mean, it's it's not high strength. It's um it's reasonably accurate though, but it is high speed, and I don't like the idea of having to whip away uh, just to try and get rid of moods. 
even though so even though the whisker harp's less reliable i would prefer uh, to use it um for the purpose that the hunter whip would be used for also i kind of feel like the rawhide whip uh, even though it has worse stats just has a better ability which is uh, it has the provoke ability and that is when you wound with this weapon you gain the priority target token um you can't build the rawhide whip until you've gotten uh, ammonia unlocked anyway so it's kind of it arrives at the same time as the hunter's whip hunter whip stat wise is much better but the rawhide whip just has superior utility um i just uh i feel like whips they need a better weapon mastery they need a better integration uh, we just need to see what's going to happen um with regards to the uh 1.5 all right so let's take the time to go through builds now so uh fen was talking about before different builds we have um matt you want to go over the the core what our core team typically was of, of builds yeah, so in our playthroughs, our uh, typical team of four would consist of a, first off, a uh, tank, which is highly necessary in everything that we've, like, we've seen that all the time from what we've played. Uh, we have our range guy, which is generally the bow. Uh, we have our support guy, which, you know, carries around the bandages and such. And then it's either a toss-up between, uh, originally we had someone with higher speed with the uh, Katars, uh, I think we eventually traded that up to a heavy hitter who's going to be doing more damage every round, so that would be someone with the Zambato. Yeah, and uh, one of the other things, we typically had our ranged person also be support, so they could do manipulation stuff. Um, this is when we had the cat gut bow, so if they needed to move, they, they had something else they could do that turn, um, and they weren't doing as much heavy damage. Um, so if they skipped a turn into support, it wasn't a big deal. Right. Now, with the introduction of the new bows and the expansion, I think bows became definitely a heavy hitter in the game as opposed to more of a support character. So uh, it seems almost now that a dedicated support character works very nicely, especially with some of the more uh, some of the different expansion items that you could use on them as well. Uh, but we're going to be going over just the basic early game builds and uh, typical stuff for that. Um, Fen, are your intro builds much different than uh, what we said here? Um, I do have some dif- differences. I sent Josh some uh, images, um, which hopefully he can put up on screen for people to see. I operate around a concept of four types of characters. Um, the first, as you mentioned, is a support character who normally uses a bow, but in the early game it may flip around depending on what I need to do. Um, then I will also use damage characters. This is between one and two of them. Um, We'll have a look at a damage build in a little while. This is it's one of the first builds I put together every single um, game. And uh, then I'll have a tank. Uh, you always need at least one person to be tanking. Um, and I firmly believe in employing what uh, I've referred to as the trapper, which we'll see a good example of that build um, last of all on the five builds I'm going to put up. All right. So which one of the builds do you guys want to talk about first? Well, shall we start with um, damage, seeing as that's always the most fun. I've got two builds for that. Yeah, people always tend to gravitate towards what's going to pack the bigger punch and what's going to kill the monster faster. Absolutely. All right, so I definitely mentioned before that one of the options that we like to do uh, in our earlier campaigns, at least, was the guitar build. So that's generally uh, one or two guitars if you want to go for the paired feature. Um, we all know how Fen feels about the speed issue, so that's definitely something that you could look at uh, to mitigate that. 
And then guitars do have the deadly, which is always nice. Critting is fantastic, especially earlier in the game, so you can start building up those resources faster. So throwing a luck charm on that is also super beneficial. And then uh, armor sets basically pick your poison. Generally, the rawhide is the way to go most of the time. Certainly. Uh, then we also have the heavy hitter, which would be the uh, Zambato, or even an axe build is nice there too. So you're talking about a slower weapon with higher strength that's going to be uh, more damaging to the monster, uh, less drawing less hit location cards, but a higher chance of wounding on them. Uh, generally, the bone axe is one of the first uh, weapons that we make in the game, so that's paramount to our early game strategies most of the time. Yeah, I'm... Um... I'm not so much an advocate of the bone axe. I have gravitated towards building multiple bone darts these days. Um, I really like the way the bone darts work. I sometimes still take bone blades, but axes, I really want one bone weapon and monster grease. I will change my mind in cases where somebody, I'm looking to do an axe mastery early on, though. Yeah, I think that plays a huge part into it, is us wanting to try and ramp the axe mastery sooner than later in the game. Yeah. Uh, so, Josh, are we ready? Yeah, I'm ready. So what are we hitting first? Uh, we're going to go with uh, damage, so if you could pop up one of the two damage builds, i put the, the rawhide one first, if you can. The one with the uh, guitar? Yes. Yeah. Alright, that's up. Okay, so this is one of the first builds I always try and aim to get online. Now, the reason I prefer to play with this kind of build as early as possible is I feel that Kingdom Death is kind of a snowball-y game in that if you manage to generate resources early on, then you can keep working on that and building your what you get into more better gear, which will allow you to make better and better resources. Uh, now, as you can see, the centerpieces of this is the Lion Beast Qatar, um, which I feel is it's a really good weapon. I normally try and build uh, between one and two of these from a white line before I'm done with the white line, regardless of which um, expansion monsters I'm using. I feel it's a solid, solid weapon. And the Luck Charm. Um, Luck Charm, when you have two blues on there, you get plus one luck. So with a Lion Beast Qatar, all of a sudden you're critting on an 8+. plus. That's a huge increase to the amount of resources you can generate. Uh, with regards to the rest of this, I've got Rawhide, because once you have Surge going, then um, you can manage to uh, just keep your survival going with lots of, sur well, lots of Surge, lots of extra attacks. Um, of the two remaining slots, this is sort of what you... Uh, you've got a bit of flex, you want something uh, to create a second blue. You can put a cat's eye circlet in there. You can put a whisker harp in there, depending on the situation. Um, I prefer a fecal salve for a lot of the time because of the extra survival you get. Sort of let you to cap your survival quite quickly. Um, but more importantly, I like the ability to remove the priority target token if it lands because your damaged characters, you don't want them to uh, uh, to be targeted too much. Um, and monster grease is just good. You know, Moss Grease for me generally sits on my grids for nearly the entire game, so I like to build it early. Uh, this this character before I'm building this will generally get the katars and be very lightly armored, um, relying on the fecal salve, monster grease, and the um, cloth to keep them alive. Um, I prefer to get the attack damage on them first, but ultimately I'll settle on this build. It is worth noting, obviously, luck charms not very good against the butcher katars not that great against the butcher so this character is going to take a little bit of a backseat in that situation and you might jig the um the setup around a little bit 
Um, one other thing I do want to talk about is guitar proficiency is one of my top five proficiencies in the game. It doesn't look very impressive. It's like, eh, whatever. But when you realize that at um, specialization, it cancels the first reaction that gets hit. So that can be huge because you can draw, you hit twice with the guitar, you can take a little bit of look and you're like, Ooh, who knows? Um, I'm going to cancel this one, I'm going to cancel that one. It can reduce the amount of damage you take from monsters that deal a lot back. Um, and also at mastery, if you get the guitar mastery, every time you crit, you get an evasion token. Uh, this is huge. A lot of monsters struggle against high evasion. Uh, and if you have a look around online, you'll see some people have talked about guitar based builds that they've taken against very powerful monsters and done exceptionally well. So this is the first of my damaged characters. Uh, and he's equipped with a Lion Beast guitar, a Luck Charm, a Fecal Salve. A full rawhide set and monster grease with a little bit of flex on the floor, fecal salve and the monster grease. So how about you guys? What's your first preference of a damage character? I would have to say probably uh, more of the, the heavy hitter type. I tend to gravitate towards the axes. That was actually my general build that I played through before I switched over to the bow character most of the time. Um, we definitely did gravitate towards the guitars in the beginning. I think it was just because the speed allure. Again, I'm not a huge fan of it, but going back and seeing the uh, the benefits of rolling just one, using one of the guitars, uh, attacking for two speed, and then being able to cancel uh, one of the reactions, that's very very useful. And it's you know it's essentially you're dealing with a knockdown monster in terms of not having to worry about the reactions with it so much. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something we're going to have to revisit for our future campaigns for sure. You have reminded me that I have an alternate version of this build um, where I'll drop the Luck Charm and the Fecal Salve and play a Blood Paint and a second guitar um, or another weapon in the other hand to try and activate both weapons to attack with. Now, I'm never quite clear on how it works with two guitars in the grid with blood paint because there's some sort of odd interactions with paired plus blood paint. So that's one of those ones I, I'm like still a little dodgy on whether I'm happy using it or not. Um, but a two one-handed weapon with deadly on blood paint is the other kind of damage build I like to use. Uh, now I've got another one that's a little bit more unusual on the damage front. Um, and Josh, could you pull up the leather one with the scrap sword, please? All right, that's up now. Okay, so what we've got here is a is a full set of leather um, plus a scrap sword, and then it has got a monster tooth necklace and a bone dagger. Now, the this is an example of where I am building items that for affinity use, which sometimes you just you want to do. You know, you can't always uh, um, sort of sometimes you've got to compromise. And in the early game. This can actually be quite powerful because Monster Tooth Necklace increases the strength of Scrap Sword by two. And also with the Bone Dagger combined, you've got the affinities you need to get Deadly onto the Scrap Sword. And I highly rate Deadly. So all of a sudden you've got a two speed, five plus, five strength, Deadly weapon that with an ability that when it hits on a perfect hit, you get plus four strength for the rest of the attack. Also, um, it, as you can see... The leather, I've got the leather boots active. I haven't managed to fully activate the monster grease on this particular build, but again, this is a damage character, so the aim is to try and avoid being tanking all the time. Uh, so this one happens a bit less, and to be honest, since the Vagabond armor has come out, it's kind of fallen to the side a bit, because you can do better things with the Vagabond armor. 
But uh, I think core only, this is one of those ones to sort of remember, you don't necessarily have to build a tank with leather armor, you can do other things. Right, so, I actually don't think we've played around with the scrap sword a whole lot, so this is an interesting build to look at, and uh, I see how it lines up very nicely, getting the deadly and the plus two strength on it from the uh, the monster tooth necklace and lining up the affinities. That's a really nice build for uh, a fairly early game set. Yeah, it's not too hard to put together, um, and I do think the scrap sword's one of those kind of underrated weapons. It, uh, it's a lot better than it seems. We got a good experience from it um, when we happened to get one early on from, I think it's a debris pile, and we were like, what can we do with this? And I noticed gaining deadly, and immediately I was like, I like deadly, and off we went with it. Very nice. So Josh, what are some like what's one of your uh, early game damage builds that you like? Um, I like what he showed so far, but uh, I'm always like the Zombato, so I'm going to pull up his Zombato build, uh, which is the the leather armor set. Right, so going off this grid here, it's a uh, full leather armor set, the Fecal Salve, uh, the Round Leather Shield, some Monster Grease, and the Zombato. And this actually does a nice damage, uh, what Ven built here was a nice tank and and a damage build too, if needed, um, with Devastating there to do some double damage. Yeah, um... It's worth noting that the Fecal Salve is like an optional slot. You can have something else in there instead, uh, whatever takes your fancy, really. But yeah, the Zambato builds are always nice. The Devastating is particularly nice for dealing with monsters, uh, as long as you don't have to worry about the super dense locations on them. Uh, it's a really nice build all the way around. And then you could even modify it with the Frenzy Potion to really swing hard with it if you are so inclined. Yeah, and then the next build we have is the uh, bow build, uh, which is actually very close to what we normally do. We normally don't have the Lucky Charm. We normally have the Clawhead Arrow in our early games. Mm, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I would definitely have the Lucky Charm in here. Uh, I, if I would take us anything out for the um, Clawhead Arrow, it would be the Monster Grease, which is the flex slot on this build for me. Uh, again, this guy tends not to get the armor too early on. This is like solidified when I put together the sets that I want. Um, to get me through to the first 10 years or so. Um, and you, you know, he gets a hand-me-down rawhide, but earlier on, when he doesn't have that, you've got room for more arrows, and I'd like to keep Monster Grease on him, because you've got to have some evasion. Uh, this build might get jigged around with a bit when the new um, Catgut Bow becomes live, because obviously that has an extra affinity, a blue one at the top, and has an extra ability to make it more accurate and kind of... Um, in exchange for the speed, which I, I like the change to the catgut bow. Yeah, the ability to sniper bow is nice. Um, generally, what we see in our early game builds with this is the archer tends to get relegated to whatever's left over with the armor. So um, early on in the game, it's basically a naked archer out there shooting everyone, get a little bit of cloth armor on it. Yep. And uh, last of all, this, uh, this is a build that... As we've talked about in the previous podcast episode, I'm actually quite a supporter of the Screaming Antelope and the Screaming Armor, even before the buffs that it got. And this is one of the reasons why. Now, obviously, I've put Finger of God here in the grid. That can actually just be the King's Spear. Um, so it doesn't have to be Finger of God. It can be any spear. This is just an example of how if you get the rest of the grid together, then you can start upgrading quite easily by getting to a very strong weapon that will take you through for most of the game within the core set. Uh, it is a Fecal Salve, Monster Grease, Screaming Horns, Screaming Skirt, Screaming Coat, a Round Leather Shield, Screaming Leg Warmers, and Screaming Bracers. Uh, I, this gives three green affinities to activate the Monster Grease. It gives one of each colors to activate the Finger of God. 
Um, the fecal salve is again a flex slot that could be something else. Now, I consider the trapper to be one of the most useful non-conventional characters in the game and this takes advantage of the fact that when you get spear specialization you have the ability to cancel the trap on a seven plus um the most extreme version of this is very hard to put together because you need to get to enough blue affinities to activate the um, blue charm and we talked about that last week and we're going to talk about it more when we get to the sunstalker but this is like my provisional on the way working with it again as well now screaming out to lope armor's got now got synergies with spears which i'm really happy with um but even beforehand it did have some synergy because of the reach on it uh so i i do hope you guys uh at some point in the future do play around with a build similar ish to this and and give spears a, a try because I don't think you've used them too much yet so far, if I'm right. No, spears have been pretty uncommon for us, but I, you know, just looking at them and how they can be used, I think we're going to start gravitating more towards them just because of the the spear uh, specialization and masteries or with the uh, trap card wonking. Yeah, so uh, this is, uh, I provisionally called this the Trapper uh, build, which is, I'm not totally happy with the name, but it is about disarming the trap rather than laying so, I mean, you know, uh, and the Spear Mastery is my second favorite mastery overall. Not necessarily the most powerful, but I, I usually end up playing a Spear user in about every campaign because um, I really rate it. And most other people don't like the idea of jumping up and stabbing a monster when the trap's going to trigger. All right. So I think that's all the builds. So it's, I think it's time for us to uh, bring the podcast to a close. Uh, we're going to do a soft close in, end this, and then we're going to make a little announcement after the podcast. So just letting everyone know okay. that we're not going down right afterwards. All right. So this was our presentation of Great Game Hunters, where we dissected the Butcher and all of the gear associated with it and the strategy, as well as some early game builds that uh, are definitely viable options for anyone playing the game. Uh, next time in two weeks, what is the date of that, Josh? That would be the 27th. Uh, we will be doing our next Great Game Hunter podcast, and that will be on what? We'll be talking about the Phoenix. Oh, the oh, time chicken. Next, right? Phoenix yes, yep, hand. Phoenix. Or, and then the, yep, uh, Phoenix, Phoenix, then Kingsman and Hand at the same time. Yeah. Very good. So we're excited to have you guys all jumping back on for that, where we can dissect the time chicken next time around, maybe give them some rotisserie treatment. But other than that, uh, please follow us, uh, Twitch Game Night, on our Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and come chat with us in our Discord, most importantly. And all of that is at Twitch Game Night right now. And this is uh, going to be our sign-off right now for our great game hunters. Uh, hope to see you all again. I'm Matt. I'm Josh. And I might be Finn. Thanks for joining. Yeah.